For our next two Discover the Word podcasts, Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes authors Randy Richards and Brandon O'Brien are back at the table with the group. And we're going to be talking with them about someone who wrote a significant part of the New Testament by volume, the Apostle Paul's letters to all those first century groups of Jesus followers in cities and regions throughout the Roman world make up roughly a quarter, 23% or so, of what we have as our New Testament. But if we're honest, we have to admit that not only is what Paul wrote difficult at times for us to understand, but he as a person seems like he could have been difficult. Yeah, I think in the eyes of most of the groups that Paul interacted with, at one time or another, he offended his fellow Jews, his fellow Christians, fellow Romans, and uh, if we're honest, probably us too. Yeah, that's Brandon O'Brien. And I hope you'll pull a chair up to the table as he and Randy Richards explore with us how easy it is to, with our 21st century Western culture eyes, misunderstand, misinterpret, and misjudge the Apostle Paul. Misreading Paul is our subject on the Discover the Word podcast. And welcome to the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries, Discover the Word. Marty Hahn and Elisa Morgan and Bill Crowder and Daniel Ryan Day and Rasul Barry are the regular members of this group that rotate in and out for these studies together. And from time to time, we also invite friends who are not part of that regular group to join us. And that is the case for our next two episodes. Now, several years ago, Randy Richards and Brandon O'Brien spent some time with us talking about how much our 21st century Western culture affects our perspective. It just does. And we, for the most part, can't help it. But if we're going to understand the Bible, a book that was written in predominantly an Eastern culture 2,000 plus years ago, we have to factor that in or we'll misunderstand and misread and misapply Scripture. And so we asked them to come back and this time just focus on the writings of the Apostle Paul and how in both positive and negative ways we can misread now, because so many found misreading scripture with Western eyes helpful, they wrote another book together on this called Paul Behaving Badly that addresses this problem as well. And they'll mention that in this first segment of the podcast. And so let's get started. Let's join Mart and Elisa and Bill and Randy and Brandon as they get reconnected. It is so good to have you back. Yeah, we had such good response to when you were with us before on uh, misreading scripture with Western eyes. And now to have Randy and Brandon yeah. back is really yeah, great. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, really. It was a signal to us, too, of what mm-hmm. we kind of suspected. People really do have questions when they read the scriptures. They bump into stuff. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I think we're afraid to ask a question. We're afraid to say, you know what? What in the world? Why did Paul say that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you help us ask those questions. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. It's a real honor to be here. I am grateful for the chance. We had such a splendid time the last time we were here. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Now, this week and next, we're going to be looking at a book that you co-wrote entitled Paul Behaving Badly, which is not at all a provocative title. It's not like a stone in the water, is it? I'm sure you got no waves, no pushback on that. I want to know what the reaction is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think we've been, at least social media and other places, have been accused of being unnecessarily provocative, just trying to sell books with a title like Paul Behaving Badly. And he very plainly behaved badly sometimes, yeah. I felt like. So there are some who have a difficult time admitting mm-hmm. that 
a figure that we revere in the scriptures could be guilty of misbehavior. So somebody is saying, well, wait a minute, are you saying that's an honest title? Yeah, I think in the eyes of most of the groups that Paul interacted with, at one time or another, he offended his fellow Jews, his fellow Christians, fellow Romans, and uh, if we're honest, probably us too. But offending is different than actually sinning. That is a great point. Certainly his culture would have, and the people inside his church, his own church members, Mm -hmm. would say at times he did not behave the way that they wanted. And I think it's an important distinction because how Paul behaved in the context in which he lived really needs to be the issue, even though we try to interpret Paul on the basis of the context in which we live, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Yeah, and it's not an easy task to do that because most of us are not all that familiar with the context that Paul lived in. And we're not necessarily aware of our own context well enough to know what we're reading into it. And Paul's context was complicated by the fact that he had a Jewish background, operating in a Roman world, and was a follower of Jesus. And those three factors were unusual at the time. What made it hard at the time? Well, I think he's in some ways was the original cross-cultural missionary. Hmm. So there were issues that came up in his ministry that had not come up previously. Hmm. When Jesus and the early disciples were going around Palestine, no one worried about whether it's okay to eat non-kosher meat. It never came up. All the meat was kosher. Hmm. Whether or not it was okay to go to your neighbor's wedding who was a pagan because none of their neighbors were pagans. Everything happened within the same nice, monocultural, socially acceptable environment. There were lots of friction, and we see that obviously in the Gospels, but there were just questions that it never even occurred to the original disciples to ask until they went to Corinth, until they went to Philippi. And suddenly these issues came up, and well, what should we do? Mm -hmm. Actually, Jesus didn't talk about whether or not it's okay to eat meat from a non-kosher market, because it never came up. In his Jewish context. In his Jewish context. Mm -hmm. When we were first asked to do the book, it's in a series, God Behaving Badly, Jesus Behaving Badly. And we thought, well, this will be an easier book to write because there's a roadmap. We know what to do. Two successful books have been done. How hard can this be? And then we started (laughs) thinking about it. Well, we all know before we start that God didn't behave badly and that Jesus did behave badly. But Paul is a human being Mm -hmm. and he is not perfect. And he actually perhaps could. And so it it was new territory for the book. And there is a challenge that we put Paul just on a pedestal, maybe and half an inch lower than Jesus. Mm -hmm. We don't make him equal to Jesus, but nearly so. And on that high a pedestal, when Paul says, imitate me, we think, well, you know, that's just a figure of speech, but he actually meant it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So one of our problems is that because we regard his writings as inspired, Hmm. We Good tend to we point. tend to think that yeah, go yeah, yeah. no you, you no you, you, what do you hear me saying <laughs> well it's the Bible and so we think that Paul is somehow deified as well or we deify him as yeah. well that's a great point Mark yeah when we were working on the book and since then I've thought of this old Rich Mullen song that I heard a lot growing up I can't remember the name of the song but he has a line where he says it's talking about Jacob and Rachel and he said it's right there in the Bible so it must not be a sin mm-hmm. but it sure does feel like an awful dirty trick that line has always <laughs> stuck out to uh. me. And I think that was when there there was the deception. The deception, right? When he wants to marry the, you know, Mm -hmm. Rachel and ends up with Leah, and then Mm -hmm. he says, "Oh well, it's a rotten thing. It's a rotten thing, but it must be okay because it's in the Bible." And I think with Paul, it's important to make a distinction between the writings of Paul are inspired scripture. Paul's behavior 
is not at all times in every occasion inspired and directed by the spirit. He's still a human being who makes mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he um, even admitted that we see through a glass darkly. That's right. Mm-hmm. And I've often thought, you know, he's kind of admitting that he doesn't see everything clearly yet, mm-hmm. and none of us do. That's great. And what's helpful mm-hmm. is I think that there are places in the scriptures where it's made clear that some people interpret his behavior as incorrect. You know, he made the wrong choice, Mm -hmm. but they don't question the message of the gospel that he's preaching. So there's a difference, I think, in what I'm saying about the gospel and what I'm saying about God and what I'm saying about the Christian Mm -hmm. life are true, but I still can err as a human in my behavior. And yet in our own lives, we know that in some occasions, a phrase is right or a statement is right or an action, but in another situation, Mm -hmm. it can be completely inappropriate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think too, you know, Paul even gives us clues to his own humanity when there are times when he says, no, this is what I'm telling you, not the Lord, That's but right. me. And yeah. then there are other times, now here's what the Lord says. That's yeah. a great you know, And so he drew distinctions. Yeah, so what we want you to know is we sense you're onto something <laughs> and we really have been looking forward to once again, just walk us through it. Because my guess is that around this table, like many of our friends, it's not gonna sound right at first. Mm-hmm. And so getting a chance to ask you, Personally, you know, what you're seeing is really going to help us. The ancient world had the same problem, but they approached it from a different viewpoint. They had these figures they called divine men who were larger than life. And in their mythology, they had these views. So these people could do no wrong. And in the book of Acts, Luke wants to make sure we do not paint the apostles as divine men. Mm -hmm. The only divine person was Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so he will subtly tell a story a certain way to make sure that we realize that Peter or Paul were not divine men. So he won't say, well, that wasn't a good decision, but we all know it. So in <laughs> Acts 1, they pick as the replacement apostle, Mattathias. And as readers, we're supposed to say, well, who was Mattathias? We don't know who this guy is. We've never heard of him. Why wasn't it Paul? Jesus picks a replacement. And the book of Acts will tell us Jesus picks a replacement. It's Paul. Peter picks Mattathias. It wasn't a good decision. We were supposed to pick up on that. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's a wonderful story because Peter stands up, quotes scripture, says this is what we should do. Mattathias. The very next chapter, Peter stands up, quotes scripture, says this is what we should do, repent. The first one didn't work out well. The second one starts the church. Hmm. We're supposed to say, Hmm. well, it's the same guy doing the same thing. What's the difference? Hmm. Uh, Pentecost. hmm. And so that's the way Peter sets up Pentecost. It's not Peter. It's the spirit that makes the difference. Hmm. Uh, That's powerful. (laughs) That is. So as we launch into these two weeks, What are the kinds of issues that you see in our culture today that have people on edge with Paul? Well, um, how many, right? (laughs) How much time do we have? Yeah. So, you know, in the last year, my family relocated to Manhattan and have found it very difficult to start conversations about what I do for a living because it leads right into sort of evangelical faith and there's the assumption very secular city. We pick up baggage along the way don't we? That's, I mean stigmas and stigmas, misunderstandings right. and we trip over ourselves and other people see it. That's right and if what you see about Bible believing Christianity is just scandals reported in the news then the issues have to do with racism about treatment of women uh, clergy and religious organizations were accused of related to racism being terrified of immigrants, of being homophobic, of being generally trying to, you know, police everyone's morality. And when you look closely in the letters of Paul, 
Paul is accused of all of those things at some time. Yeah. I think it's really important for me that we take the charges seriously, take the culture's questions seriously, because they're not going to accept the answer, well, the Bible says X, so therefore it's true. They're going to say, well, yeah, but what the Bible says is oppressive to these different groups, or yeah. it's leading you to be you know, dangerous members of society. And does the Bible say and does that the is Bible... probably the root question exactly. we need to look at together. And so mm -hmm. I think it's maybe more important than ever that we really wrestle with what is Paul actually saying? What's Paul responding to? So he's saying this in a context, there's something's happening in his culture that he's responding to, but we're not necessarily aware of. And so how do we get down in the pages with him and sort of wrestle through it and figure out what did he actually say and what does that mean when he says to imitate me we're really talking about perspective aren't we when we come to the scriptures yeah you know we think of paul as a part of our christian tradition and so we sort of as christians i think paul belongs to us right he's part of our story but the bible is a public thing everyone has access to it and the more we proclaim our faith and the more we stand for things the more the public notices and so the public who are not christians secular world or uh, people of other religions are also have access to paul and they're going to look at him through their cultural assumptions and through the experiences they've had with christians and they're going to read paul in a certain way and probably misread paul because they're reading him from the outside the reality is is that in our day in our culture jesus himself is probably the best apologetic we have paul is not what jesus what do you mean by that well people love jesus still in his cross-cultural crazy revolutionary god loves you and he wants a relationship with you mm. message to rescue us that's compelling mm. paul's confusing that's right. Jesus said, where are the people who judge you? I don't judge you either. And Paul says, stop doing those things. <laughs> so yeah. It's a very different yeah. tone from yeah. Paul than yeah. from Jesus. Hmm. We and all so, have filters. It's just a different set of filters for those of us on our side of the fence. That's right. Mm -hmm. So it's easy for us to become defensive of Paul mm -hmm. when cultural critics are saying he's terrible for the following reasons. And we may want to say, absolutely not, because he actually says this. But we may get Paul wrong as Christians because we're also reading him through a certain set of assumptions. But the option we don't have is to ignore Paul. It is God's holy word, and it is absolutely to be taken seriously. So good, seriously. Randy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think as we're talking about this, every time we open the Bible, we're entering into a cross-cultural experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we don't factor that when we come to Paul. That's right. Mm -hmm. We assume that we're going someplace familiar every time we open the Bible, when really we're going someplace strange every mm -hmm. time we open the Bible. <laughs> and sometimes it feels stranger than others. The Old Testament, I think, feels strange to many people, but maybe the New Testament feels so familiar we're not aware of it. But the fact is, <laughs> all the cultural navigation we do from this side of the scriptures trying to read in, you know, there was a lot of cultural dynamics happening in the scriptures cross-culturally, especially where Paul is concerned. In his own day. In his own day. And those create real challenges for us to understand what's going on. Elisa mentioned how much the culture loves Jesus. And there's this great story in John 5 where Jesus sees a lame man by the pool of Bethesda. He says, uh, be healed, rise, take up your mat and walk. You think, well, how could you possibly not like that story? It's a great story. <laughs> Our life was changed. <laughs> right. And we think, well, all you should do is just break out in applause and everyone go home. But they have their own cultural lenses. You think, well, what's wrong with what Jesus did? Well, it was on the Sabbath. You think, oh, that's some kind of crazy Jewish rule. Well, it's part of God's word. And it says people don't work on the Sabbath. But they had an exception. 
God works on the Sabbath. Mm. Babies were born on the Sabbath. Other things that were divine Plants things happened grew on the, on the Sabbath. Sabbath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The sun came <laughs> up on the Sabbath. Yeah. So they said, wow, obviously God is allowed to work on the Sabbath. Mm. And then Jesus comes along and works on the Sabbath. And of course, he does that deliberately. He's saying something about who he is. But the Pharisees, the other people react and they say, who is this guy who told you to rise, take up your mat and walk? And so it turns into a Sabbath discussion. And it is a strange world that we just entered. But Paul is in a different world. Yeah. So Paul performs the same miracle as Jesus does in this instance. But with a different guy. With a different guy. Right. Not the same lame man. Although, (laughs) what a story that man would have to tell. Was it on a note work day or not? Not on the Sabbath uh, for Paul, but he's in a new place. So Jesus performed this miracle in a Jewish context. And Paul later is in Lystra, which is a pagan city. And And, okay, so Sabbath's not an issue over there. Sabbath's not an issue over there. He sees a man who's lame from birth and heals him. And the response there through their filter they interpret the scenario completely differently. And uh, I think it would be helpful if we actually read that story from Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 10. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. And once again, we think, There should be nothing but celebration and everybody goes home happy. And there does seem to be more rejoicing actually going on in Lystra than happened in Hmm. Jerusalem in verses 11 through 13. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, these men are gods in human form. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul was Hermes since he was the chief speaker. Now, the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town. So the priest of the temple and the crowd brought bulls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates, and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. Now, this strikes us as just the oddest thing, but there was something going on in their culture. There was a story, Zeus and Hermes visit this little town, Ovid, their Greek poet tells the story. So this Greek god visits the town and is not welcomed. No one is being hospitable to them. And then this old sweet couple named Philemon and Bacchus, not the Philemon of the Bible, who are woodcutters, very, very poor, welcome them in, feed them the little bit they have. She pours a drink for them and her pitcher doesn't run out. That's where we get that famous story about Hermes' pitcher. That's a miracle. It seems like a miracle. And they recognize these must be gods. And so the gods spare them, but destroy the city. So in the background, there is this thing of you have to treat gods well if they come to your town. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the consequences are serious. Here, this miracle has happened. They don't have any understanding of the one creator God. So they just jump to this conclusion. It's a pretty reasonable conclusion, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, what's interesting here is that you tell a story I've never heard before. And I'm (laughs) guessing that a bunch of us are saying, how in the world then are we supposed to get it, what's actually happening? Well, it's interesting. It's the part of the story in Acts that Luke thought went without being said. Because everybody would have known that part by saying, well, they thought it was Zeus and Hermes. And we were all supposed to say, oh, well, yeah, sure. Sure, The story about Zeus and Hermes Mm -hmm. coming and visiting. (laughs) And and that's why they jumped to this conclusion. Yeah, I think as a point of sort of very practical guidance to your question, does it matter? I think there are two things to do. One is this sounds familiar, right? And this sort of lame man from birth, stand up and walk. I've heard this before. If you think that this sounds like something Jesus did, 
I think a good first instinct is to go read that story in the Gospels, right? Mm -hmm. And to say, is it possible that Luke in Acts wants us to think about that story over in the Gospels? Mm -hmm. And then I think it's telling, as Randy mentioned, that the narrator in Acts actually names the gods, Zeus Mm -hmm. and Hermes. And so it's really easy at that point to just Google Zeus and Hermes. And I would be shocked if we don't find something. Wikipedia probably has an entrance that says there's a story about Zeus and Hermes Mm -hmm. in Lystra. And you go, well, hey, my story is happening in Lystra. And so just you kind of paying attention when the narrator is giving us a clue. So our new Um, commentator is Google. (laughs) That's interesting. But a good, and actually you bring up a good commentary Hmm. on Acts Mm -hmm. would have pointed out that the reason they made this assumption was because Mm -hmm. of this story that everybody knew back then. That's part of the challenge. When there's a gap in a story, we think, well, you know, it seems like something's left out. Well, there was something left out. And when we don't have it, then we tend to fill in what goes without being said in our own culture. That's how misreadings occur. So how does the story end up? Yeah, let's read the last couple of verses, verses uh, 14 through 18, because I think it's helpful for understanding what Paul's going to do other places when we see how Paul responds to the now chaos that's happening. Okay. Acts 14, starting in verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We're also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you in order that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And in the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own way. And yet he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And even saying these things, they with difficulty restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. What I think is really great about this is it shows us how Paul shapes his message to them in a way that they can understand it. He says, uh, we're only human beings, and the God that I'm here to tell you about created everything and has been providing for you, which is what the Greek gods were credited with doing, right? So he's kind of entering their world and having the conversation on their terms, but he's going to preach that same message differently when he's talking to Jews later. And so Paul is toggling back and forth always between this sort of Roman pagan culture and this Jewish culture. And sometimes in some of the letters, he knows that there are members in that church from both of those groups, and he has to talk to both of them at the same time in one letter. And that's another place where we can begin, you know, to feel confusion. So it sounds to me like one thing then to be aware of is that when we're reading the scriptures and something just doesn't seem right, and maybe just to pause and run, something else may be going on in the background that we're not aware of. You're at the table with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder here on Discover the Word. And in addition to that extra chair, which is, of course, always saved at the table for you, We've pulled up an additional two chairs for Brandon O'Brien and Randy Richards as they lead us in this series titled Misreading Paul. And when we continue in just a moment, they're going to talk about potholes when we read the Bible. Now, in Michigan, where we record these conversations every winter season, the repeated cycle of freezing and melting and refreezing and melting creates a problem with our roads, the development of potholes. In fact, vehicle repair costs due to pothole damage to cars totals $15 billion a year. And not many of us have anything good to say about potholes. But in the next part of this conversation, they're going to use the image of a pothole 
to describe when we're reading the Bible and we come across something that we don't understand. And so let me fast forward to where this next part of the conversation about potholes is going to lead. And so thank God for potholes. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) What? How can we possibly get there where we're thanking God for potholes? Well, stay with us and we'll discover how in just a moment. Now, as we explore this together over our next couple of podcasts, I would encourage you to get a copy of the book that was written by our guests that is behind much of the material in this series. The book is called Paul Behaving Badly. And as I worked my way through Paul Behaving Badly, I had several aha moments, and I think you will too. As we've said many times before here on Discover the Word over the years, to understand how the scriptures apply to us in the 21st century, we need to first understand what it meant to the original audience. And uh, the book, Paul Behaving Badly, will certainly help you see the Apostle Paul in a different light so that you don't use your 21st century Western eyes only to read what he wrote. In the book, Randy and Brandon will show you how Paul offended Roman perspectives and scandalized Jewish sensibilities in his day. There's no doubt that Paul's vision of the Christian faith was deeply disturbing to many in the first century. And so is it any surprise that he inspires the same reaction with some in our day as well? Well, Paul Behaving Badly by Randy Richards and Brandon O'Brien. We do recommend that you get a copy. And now back to the group's conversation with Randy Richards and Brandon O'Brien about misreading Paul. Mark, you said something in our last conversation that got my attention. What? Um, <laughs> Would you like me to leave the room? Well, <laughs> yes, it's, it's time for a little therapy. No, actually, it was when we were doing the Acts 14 story about Paul healing the man, and they thought that he might be Zeus or Hermes. And I had mentioned the story about Philemon and Bacchus. And I said, oh, there was this popular story going around, et cetera. And you said, well, I've never heard that yeah. story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It pointed out a challenge we have. That story can help, but it also there's a negative side to telling a story like that. Yeah, I think it could be tempting to hear some of this background information and feel for the listeners that I don't know this story. I didn't know I needed to know the story. I don't know where to find the story. And to feel like this conversation is making the scriptures less accessible. You're taking the Bible away from me. I don't understand all this stuff. Well, we already feel that way. I mean, don't you feel so inadequate when you come to read scriptures? Because there's like surprise potholes that you don't even know are there. (laughs) But there's so much that we do understand. Right. But I still feel sometimes intimidated, just a, a natural human response. I think her comment, there's a surprise pothole, is actually not the problem, but the solution. Right. Because the issue is, I don't understand this. It's too hard. I don't have the training. I'm not smart enough because everybody else surely understands this. Mm -hmm. I would say to that, we would say to that, that when you run into something that isn't clear or it seems confusing, first of all, that other people are asking that question and feel free to voice it, that we need to have these conversations together, bring it up to somebody. But also that those little potholes, as you called them, in the road are a great clue that this is something I need to pay attention to. And one of the things that I find a very present help in time of trouble uh, <laughs> is uh, in Second Peter, when Peter writes, you know, some of the things our brother Paul has written are difficult <laughs> and hard to understand. And I think if a guy who walked with Jesus for three years struggles oh. with Paul, maybe I'm not going to get it yeah. the first time through either. Right. Let's look at a pothole. First Corinthians 10 verses three and four. Paul is talking about Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. So we think, yeah, I know the story of the Exodus, plagues and parting the sea, but read verses three and four. 
This is 1 Corinthians 10. Let me pick it up at 1, if that's okay. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea, meaning the Red Sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. The same spiritual food. Is he talking about the manna? Okay, well, we're all right with that. Same spiritual drink. Uh, I don't remember any stories about that. And then the rock that accompanied them. Well, that's when Brandon would say, a lot of our readers think, well, everybody else knows that mm-hmm. rock that accompanied. I don't know what he's talking about. So I better just be quiet. And this is where we have to dig a little deeper. That pothole is actually a clue mm-hmm. that something has gone without being said mm-hmm. because everybody knew it. Well, everybody back then knew it because it was a very popular story. But we don't know the story. We didn't know about the well that followed the children of Israel around. Huh? And <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And the well would flip on its side and roll after them. So as they went through the wilderness, this well would roll after them. And then when they stopped for the night, it'd fall back yeah. over and there'd be a well. It is right. not in Scripture. Right. It was a popular Jewish story. You mean the way you just explained the it? The way I just explained it was yeah. a popular Jewish story. Because I was thinking of Moses striking the rock and the water coming. See, we go in these different places of what we know. Right. And okay. you're pulling us into cultural... Okay, let's back up. I thought you were just being facetious and making up this story for the sake of our conversation. <laughs> and you're saying no. This is no, a real story. This was a people real... really believed... Say that again. What did they believe? <laughs> <laughs> they believed that there was a well that followed the children of Israel around. Why did they believe that? You have to drink water every day. And right. they're in the wilderness. And they're in the wilderness. So where are you going to get water? Well, where did they always get water? You know, in their life, you always got water from a well. So they so must have had a well. They must have had they're a well. in the gaps. Yeah. Right. And so they had the story. Now, where did they actually get water? We don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us. It tells us a few stories. Mm-hmm. But On we assume it yeah. was springs and other places that God led them to sources of water. And when there wasn't one, God miraculously provided it. But they didn't think that way. They read scripture from their own cultural lens. And by the time... They were telling these stories. They were living in Israel, and they got their water from wells. So what is Paul saying in 1 Corinthians 10, where they ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink, and drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ? He is saying from the beginning, it's Christ that's been creating a people from the very beginning. And so these Gentiles in Corinth are part of God's story. And that's actually a cultural lens we have. We sing Father Abraham, even though I have no genetic (laughs) connection to uh, Abraham. But I think of Abraham as my father. I think of Israel's history as my history, which is exactly what Paul wanted us to do. We've been grafted into the tree, is language that Paul will use. Well, he was very successful with that story. So we've got it. We are right there. But for these pagans in Corinth, they're thinking, what in the world does any of that story have to do with us? Mm -hmm. You know, we're followers of Jesus, but that Jewish story is the story of some other people. And Paul's saying, no, that's your people, that Christ has been building a people from the beginning, Mm -hmm. and now you're becoming part of the story. And it's interesting what Paul's doing in this passage is so different from the way he explained what God was doing in Acts 14. 
because his audience is so different. Right. In Acts 14, when he heals the lame person in Lystra and he explains to them, I've come here to tell you about the God who created and provides. It's a very okay. generic sort of monotheistic message. All right. But when he's speaking to Jewish Christians or when he's talking to Christians, uh, even pagans who have come into the church and he's trying to educate them in Israel's story, he's using this kind of code words of the sea and the cloud and the rock. And the only way you know what he's talking about yeah. is if you're immersed in that Jewish story. And so he's, you know, has to navigate between how do I tell the same truth to groups who have totally different backgrounds and are mm -hmm. going to filter these things in different ways. Here's what we don't want to do is have the pothole mentality that, wow, everybody knew that, but I did. Mm -hmm. There would be Gentile Christians in Corinth who had never heard that story. Right. And so they would say, what? <laughs> so what is happening now has always been happening mm -hmm. in the story of Christianity is that we have to be educated. Mm -hmm. And so as Paul toggles between his two cultures, then we add the dynamic of bringing it forward into our culture. And to get back to where we started, I think the, the big takeaway is when we read something like this, and we're confused and we say, what in the world is going on here? That's probably what we ought to be thinking. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> what surprised me so much is that when we went to that First Corinthians passage and Elisa read it about being fed in the wilderness and the, the rock that was Christ, I thought I had the information that I needed. But when you started telling the story that sounded like a cartoonish, fable. a fable yeah. to me, <laughs> I had no clue that the Jewish people actually, that was their explanation for how the Jews were finding water in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Having this well following them around, following them aside and giving them water whenever they need it. Mm -hmm. So it came from a careful reading as she was reading along. The part that we just glossed over because it didn't fit our image yeah. was the rock that accompanied them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and so we'd just say, whatever, and we'd skip over it. Well, no, it's scripture. It's God's holy word. Let's yeah. dig in and read it. But the two takeaways we want to have is don't be intimidated. You can be blessed by that passage without ever knowing that story. Yeah, I enjoyed that passage because I had understood enough of the Old Testament narrative to get a lot of it. Right. But if we dig a little deeper, then we find more treasure Even more. and we're a little bit more blessed in reading the story that here's how Paul takes the story they know and weaves Christ into it. Yeah. I think another takeaway is that if you're reading familiar passages over and over and over again, we want people to be reading the scriptures every day, right? But then they become familiar. You don't know what you don't see. Yeah. The more we know of the bigger story of the Bible, mm -hmm. the better we're able to provide context, right? That's right. And the more we can read it with people for whom these stories are unfamiliar, mm. the more it kind of can snap us out to say, oh, you're right, that is strange, but I just hadn't noticed. We worship in a church plant where there are a lot of new Christians, and we read scripture every Sunday morning. And one morning, someone read the story of Ananias and Sapphira, where they withhold the offering from the Lord, yeah. and then God strikes them dead. And at the end of the reading, instead of saying, this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God, you know, the person reading said, wow, there's a lot there. <laughs> and then sat down. And it's so refreshing That's to awesome. read that story with somebody yeah. who's going, what? Yeah. You know, because it makes you slow down yeah. and look at it. And I think that just giving people that permission to say, this feels strange. It is strange, yeah. but it's not hopeless. Stick with it hang together, all of us together, because if we stick with it mm -hmm. and help one another understand these things, you know what? We'll make progress. Thank because God we for can potholes. trust scripture. And so thank God for bottles. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, Randy and Brandon, these have been fascinating conversations. We're talking about all kinds of potholes and all kinds of challenges and all kinds of interesting stuff. <laughs> about reading the scriptures. About reading the scriptures and understanding them. And it's really good. And I'm wondering when Paul's going to behave badly. <laughs> uh, right? Yeah, but the problem is Paul's my hero. <laughs> I, honestly, I, really? I can't imagine someone who better expresses the spirit of Christ in the way Paul suffered so much mm. to get the good news mm into his world. Does it offend you, though, to talk about him in this way? No, because I think I get it. Okay. Because he does say some things that I everybody confusing. argues about, and yeah. they're confusing to women, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. For me, as a kid growing up in church, a Bible Belt, small town, very conservative church, and felt a lot of the sort of moral imperative from Paul as kind of oppressive. And to be perfectly honest, I don't know if it was from Paul or if it was Paul Mm. via the teaching that I was receiving, right? Mm -hmm. It was hard for me to separate the two as a kid. But the thing that struck me about Paul and put a bad taste in my mouth for a lot of the other things, getting to the question of how is he behaving badly, is in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. This is going to be like an example, though. This is an example, okay. right? Exactly. Yeah. Sure. Of what strikes me about Paul's what you used to bump on. What okay. used to bump on. Yeah. He says, "Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things." We love that verse, right? Mm-hmm. Verse nine: Whatever you have learned, or received, or heard from me, or seen in me. Put it into practice, uh-huh. and the God of peace will be with you. Yeah. So if I want the God of peace to be with me, I just got to act like Paul. Just act like Paul. And I think that just that verse 9 always struck me as just the arrogance. Who does he uh, think he yeah. is? Who does he think he is to say that, like, all you guys need to know is whatever I've said and whatever I've done, mm-hmm. just follow me. But isn't it our tendency to say, well, yeah, I guess Paul could say that because he was Paul. Yes. I'm not sure that all of Paul's contemporaries felt <laughs> that way about Paul. Well, that's a good point. Right. He really rubbed others the wrong way, didn't he? And I think if you come in with the admiration that you expressed for Paul, it's easy to gloss over some of the things like having a falling out with Barnabas at the Mm -hmm. beginning of a mission trip. Mm -hmm. And everybody seemed to like Barnabas. So if you have a problem with Barnabas, maybe you're the problem, right? Right. Um, And so we see that sort of story. We see him telling women not to speak in church. We see him, but it's easy maybe to gloss those things over if you come with the sort of admiration. If you come already feeling like this guy is out of touch and out of date and he's dangerous, then all of those other things just sort of leap out from the page, the way he talks about the Jews are dogs and they killed Jesus. And you can have a visceral reaction to those kinds of difficult statements if you're predisposed to think that Paul isn't a great guy. So we have a culture and someone like me coming at Paul from two different directions. Paul has always been a hero of mine, and he still is. And so uh, for me, Paul behaving badly, I like getting to the end where I'm able to say, not really. But uh, as Brandon (laughs) points out, culture comes at him from a completely different direction. And I do think, as we've mentioned in a previous conversation, Luke is also trying to make sure we don't suddenly turn Paul into a demigod. Mm -hmm. And so he loves to point out the little story about Barnabas. And Paul having a falling out, you say, well, yeah. But he points out, who do they have a falling out over? Over John Mark. Well, all of Luke's readers know John Mark. You mean like the guy that wrote the gospel? That John Mark? Uh, Yeah, that one. So they're all going to know, gee, he kind of turned out okay. Not only that, but Paul will later refer to Mark as my son. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to read that and realize, wow, you know, actually Barnabas had that 
right? And better than Paul. Better yeah. than Paul. And that part of Paul's personality was hard driving. Mm-hmm. And as much as I admire Paul and he's my hero and I do want to try to imitate him, I'm not sure I would have invited him over for a Sunday afternoon barbecue. <laughs> Sounds like you're sort of hinting at the fact that Paul made a bunch of mistakes along the way, right? I don't know about a bunch, but he made some. And I think Luke points those out. Okay, why would you hesitate to say a bunch? <laughs> well, I don't know. Because I, <laughs> Could you really he's a like hero Paul? of mine. <laughs> <laughs> I might say a bunch. Yeah. Uh, but still feeling totally confident that now on the other side of things, that his example of godliness, his example of perseverance for the faith, his profound pastoral care and sensitivity, those are the things that now I see, his love for his colleagues and those things. It takes really entering into the discussion and wrestling to be able to see that nuanced view. And I don't want to take the tension out of our conversation and, you know, rush him to a happy little ending with a bow. But one of the things that we've been looking at in Christendom in the last several years is the whole issue of personalities and Mm. different personalities and different giftings. And I think if we would somehow lay that understanding that we have now of human nature on top of Paul, he'd probably end up being kind of a bombastic individual that's Mm. hard to work with. Mm. And we forget all the different personalities, that Mm -hmm. that's how he might be. And that would help us be more endeared to him, I think. And it reminds me of Moses. Mm -hmm. Moses had an anger. He had a, we see Moses making mistakes. Mm -hmm. And Peter would spout out. So each person in scripture, just like us, you know, again, and we started our conversation saying, Paul isn't Jesus. You know, Mm -hmm. Paul did make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Paul is human. And so if we approach him as a unique individual, maybe that helps us understand him behaving badly. And I go back to where you were stubbing your toe, Brandon, Mm -hmm. and I understand why that would hit you that way, because you hear him say here, live exactly like me and you'll know the peace of God. Mm -hmm. Wow. And you're the same guy who wrote, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. (laughs) I think it's also worth mentioning that we in this room right now are all white readers of scripture. Mm -hmm. I think our African-American and Latino and other brothers and sisters, when they read Paul talking about slavery and never denouncing slavery outright, Mm -hmm. they also admire Paul, admire the perseverance and suffering. But they say, this is a huge thing, right? That is an important part of our heritage. And why didn't Paul come out and say, you know, strongly against this? And, you know, when Paul tells women to be silent, we think, oh, you know, maybe should have done that. But for me, that's an academic issue. For Lisa, it's a different issue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for my wife, it'd be a different issue. I think we do too quickly rush to rehabilitate Paul. We say, well, you know, maybe he had some barbs in him. But, you know, if you're going to go out and preach the gospel, you're going to get persecuted. You're going to get beaten. You're going to get put in prison. Lots of Christian missionaries went out and preached the gospel cross-culturally and didn't manage to get tossed in the slammer for it. (laughs) So there was something about the way that Paul did it. He would push and push and call many people to the faith. The ones who were left didn't say, well, that was a nice conversation. Mm-hmm. They leave angry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's worth mentioning, I think, that when you get into the scriptures and begin looking at Paul's story, at different points, his Jewish brothers will accuse him of behaving badly. They'll say, you're preaching against the temple and the laws of Moses. Mm -hmm. Um, You're inviting people to the table that you shouldn't be and those kinds of things. And then when he's interacting with Romans, the Romans will accuse him of behaving badly because now he's talking about family dynamics and sexual ethics and all this in ways that alienate the Romans. So Mm -hmm. we are primarily concerned with the way he seems to be behaving badly to us. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that's important is that he's behaving badly in the first century 
depending on who you're talking to. So if we go back to the Philippians 4 passage, Mm -hmm. if we do imitate Paul like we should, then we should not be surprised when the Pharisees in the church are angry with us and when the critics in the culture are angry with us. If both groups are mad on the same issue, then we probably are in the middle where we ought to be with Paul, and that may be good company. So really hearing it the way Paul may have meant it, it's speaking kind of a truth against a culture that might not embrace it. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. Those are different words. It's higher ground. Well, mm-hmm. and that's a good point mm-hmm. because I think there's an implied contrast. Whatever is true and the things that you used to think are true are not true. Whatever is lovely and the things that you used to think are lovely are not lovely. I think he's driving a countercultural sort of argument there. The part of that verse that irritated Brandon the most that you also pointed out, Bill, was the, and then the peace of God will rest on you. Well, in other words, in a time when there seems to not be peace, members of the church are angry with you. Members in the community are angry with you. There seems to be a lot of tension. But if you're doing what is noble and right and lovely and honorable, then at least the peace of God will be on you. And remembering that Paul was under arrest as he was writing this, <laughs> and he was not necessarily living a life of luxury in this moment, mm-hmm. but he can still talk about the God of peace may inform how we understand it as well. That's right. So really what you're saying is that Paul, we know, had an intent to help this church. We know it had a heart for them. Mm-hmm. If we hear his words, it probably makes all kinds of sense to say he had given them a loving example of someone who was desiring deeply to be true to Christ and wanted them so much to join him in that. That's right. Talking about some of the reasons why not everyone might be enamored with the Apostle Paul and and struggle with some of the things he wrote, feeling that it reflects someone who is racist or chauvinist, arrogant, stubborn, out of touch. But where would that be misreading Paul? Well, our series is called Misreading Paul, and we're talking with Randy Richards and Brandon O'Brien, authors of the book, Paul Behaving Badly. And we're coming down toward the end of the first half of our conversation about this. And so, uh, Randy, where should we go next to finish up part one? In our next conversation, we're going to look at some specific examples of where Paul behaves badly in ways that will resonate with our own listeners, I think. And we'll be able to see, wow, ouch, that does seem a little bit that way. We're not going to sweep it under the rug because it's Holy Scripture. We're going to take it seriously, but we're going to be able to see how a better reading of Paul helps us to see how this is actually the right way to address it. All right, sounds good. That's the direction that we'll go after a quick timeout. Great to have you studying with us on this episode of the Discover the Word podcast. And I just want to say that we are so thankful for supportive friends like many of you who make this ministry possible through their financial giving. Discover the Word is free for anyone to listen to, but producing and distributing these studies, of course, comes with expense. And so your gift will help us to continue to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible accessible to people all around the world. You can give when you go online to discovertheword.org. Click on the Donate tab. And when you're online on our website, be sure to use the links at the bottom of the page to follow us on social media. Get updates via Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, and that'll help us stay connected. And now back to the table and the conclusion of part one 
of misreading Paul. As I back up a little bit from our conversation and I look at all four of the ones we've had so far, I want to be really clear that we are not just trying to point out, well, Paul was a stinker, you know, and he behaved badly and we're going to point our finger at him. What we're really trying to do, if I'm getting this, is help us understand the the kinds of concepts we take to reading Paul that mislead us, that mess us up, and therefore we miss his points. And we want to learn instead how to correctly read Paul because he has so much to offer us. Mm -hmm. I would be mortified if listeners finished all of these conversations by thinking less of Paul. Mm -hmm. I want us to be more excited about reading Paul, more thrilled with what he has to say. But we get into trouble. We run into potholes, as you so cleverly said, because we misread Paul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's hard to strike this balance because I think there are some listeners that we want them to pay a little closer attention to the difficult passages than they have paid. And then there are other listeners who are beginning to write Paul off and say, it's just too much. Mm-hmm. And trying to find the sort of nuance to address both groups yeah. is somewhat difficult. But in the end, we do think that the people who are about to write Paul off are doing that because they're misunderstanding what he's actually saying. If Paul was writing to us today in our American culture, do you think his letters would look significantly different than we read them? You're nodding. (laughs) (laughs) I think they would. I think we would have just as many challenges with Mm -hmm. them. I think in the end, the Pharisees in the church would still be unhappy with Paul, and the critics in secular culture would still be just as unhappy Mm -hmm. with Paul. Because I think that if we read Paul correctly, that he puts us in the middle between those two groups, where we ought to be, where I think the truth of God is. Mm -hmm. But he would be speaking to different circumstances. Oh, absolutely. Different And different issues. That's right. He might be offending people, but maybe for different reasons. That's right. But still, any time you present substantial ideas, people on all sides of that argument are going to either like it or hate it, depending on what they've already decided to some degree, right? Right. Recently, I was thinking of Paul in terms of social media. Mm. My Facebook friends, for example, are fairly evenly divided between progressive on this issue and conservative in this issue or Christian or non-Christian. And it becomes very difficult to know what to say about anything other than here are cute pictures of my children, right? You know, that's safe. <laughs> Absolutely. Everybody can agree with that across the political spectrum, right? But it becomes hard to speak. And I think right. we live in an age where if you say anything publicly, it's immediately subject to criticism. And it's subject to criticism from everyone. Mm-hmm. We can't say anything privately anymore because we're broadcasting ourselves on social yeah. media. Paul is actually a really great example of someone who navigated a similar scenario, someone who's trying to speak to different groups with the same truth of the gospel. I think when we read him correctly, what we find is that he's not actually offending people on the issues. He's offending people with the gospel. The gospel is an offense, Mm -hmm. right? And he's adhering so closely to the gospel that when you do that, it offends people who are on different sides of it for different reasons. Mm -hmm. And so I think the problems look huge when we're misreading Paul, but that doesn't make the tension go away when we read him 
correctly. I, I think we have a fence for two reasons. One is the right reason Brandon just mentioned, that the gospel is a stumbling block. It is mm-hmm. an offense. But sometimes he offends because we misread him. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brandon, you had a great example growing up of how people misread Paul and it was used to beat you over the head. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So I grew up with hearing Paul used in a sort of reinforcing our small town conservative Bible Belt morality, right? The don't drink, smoke, or chew, or run around with girls that do. And Paul is brought into that conversation, avoid all appearance of evil. He says in Ephesians 5, there should be no foolish talking or jesting. And I thought, man, this guy's just really a killjoy. (laughs) And I think for me, I'm reading all of those statements from Paul through my historical place Mm -hmm. of being an American Christian and through my cultural place of being a Christian in the Bible Belt, certain kind of Puritanism as a bad word. H.L. Mencken once said that uh, Puritanism is the, quote, the haunting fear that someone somewhere may be happy. Uh, (laughs) And I think that's culturally kind of what people thought about Christianity when I was a child. And I thought that too, that Mm. it's behavior control, it's moralism. And Paul's just one more example of someone who's trying to rein in my good time. And Paul's actually the authority on it. That's so right. when the youth leader who's weary after the long <laughs> evening is driving the van home and there's all kinds of frivolity going on in the backseat and laughter and stuff, and he wants them just to be quiet because he's worn out. Well, sometimes Paul is used as the club to stop all that laughter in the back <laughs> of the van. Yeah. And the very thing that we don't allow Paul talking about social media, things like that, and how our words get broadcasted and misunderstood and misrepresented. The thing that we often deny Paul is the exact thing that we first claim for ourselves. Well, you took it out of context. (laughs) You took it out of context. You don't understand the context in which I was saying that. And that's exactly what we do with him. That's right. And maybe to pull this back, you know, to how we start this conversation is that we're talking about Paul who is a human being, Mm -hmm. an instrument that God used with a unique personality, unique gifting, a unique cultural background that spanned several different kinds of culture to create what we have as letters that now are in the Bible. So we're talking about Paul as a person, but we're also talking about the words that he wrote that we try to Mm -hmm. understand, to understand the gospel. And that we believe that they are inspired words. Yes. Mm -hmm. But the problem is when it comes to leaving him in context or putting him in context, it seems to me that sometimes it's impossible to do that. Okay. Isn't it the struggle to really know what his context was? I think that it is a challenge because we are reading someone else's mail. You know, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and so he says, now, concerning your question about this, we think, well, I don't know what that question yeah. is. Right. And but I don't he, have that issue. Right. right, right. But, but he uh, answers enough of it that we can actually go back and figure these things out. So what seems to us a laundry list of just checking off sins he wants to complain about, flee immorality, stop getting drunk, quit gossiping, disunity, Oh, and the Lord's Supper. We think, wow, you know, he just kind of went through this list of gripes that he has when actually he was dealing with one issue, what they used to call wine parties. So a wealthy person would invite friends over for a banquet. Banquets would end with a wine party. And when we read the Romans complaining about the craziness going on there, they talk about immorality because your host was supposed to provide 
escorts for everybody and drunkenness and there'd be a lot of disunity they would complain about the passing of notes and political intrigue and all of that sort of stuff so what was happening is churches were held in homes so the wealthy patroness who would sponsor the church would invite everyone to her home well corinthians would do Corinthian things. So when they would come, they would just fall into the normal pattern. So tacking on the Lord's Supper at the end was an attack on. They were doing church. The problem was they were doing church the way they did the normal kinds of parties. And Mm -hmm. Paul says, wow, you ought not to do this stuff. And Christians were accused of all kinds of immorality, some justified, some not justified. The not justified, for instance, they were accused of incest. Well, the incest was normally because Christians referred to each other as brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. So they heard that. That was not acceptable behavior in the larger culture. You weren't supposed to refer to non-kinsmen as kinsmen. Mm-hmm. So they would call each other brother and sister. And then later, two of them would get married. And so they <laughs> said, oh, there's incest going on in that community. Wow. And you don't really know what's hmm. going on over there because you weren't invited. But then some of the misbehavior they were doing, they probably were having trouble with drunkenness and gossip and disunity. If you're hosting the banquet, you want to, you know, provide nicer food for your wealthier guests. Well, how do you do that? Well, you start the meal a little early because slaves got off work at five. So you could start the nice meats early so your special guests could come. And Paul says, that is just shameful. That is just shameful that you do that. Yeah, so it's important to, you know, when you think about fleeing all appearance of immorality and don't do these things in your parties. And Paul is not necessarily making a blanket statement for you and Arkansas when I'm growing up. Don't tell jokes. He's saying, you guys in Corinthians in this context that's known for these certain misbehaviors, don't do those things. And so he's speaking directly to issues that are a problem for their Christian witness. And it doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, moral absolutes that applies to everybody, but we have to kind of understand them in the group of his letters, the bulk of them. But Mark, there could be, is there application today? Well, sure. Christians still get invited to parties. We still do other things. There's still misbehaviors going on in culture, maybe of a different kind. There are things that Christians ought to avoid, but we do have to figure out how to apply the truths of God's word that went to the Corinthians to people today. And that's part of the challenge of applying Paul and reading Paul correctly and not misreading them. Yeah. Yeah, understanding the historical and cultural context in which Paul was writing really can help us make the application for our own lives today become a little clearer here in the 21st century. Well, glad you're part of this discussion here on Discover the Word about misreading Paul. And I think you'll agree, we're going to need to spend more time on this subject, aren't we? And so in our next podcast, we'll have our friends Randy Richards and Brandon O'Brien give us more examples from Scripture that can help us to understand and not misunderstand the Apostle Paul. Because really, these conversations are right on point with our goal in getting together to discover the Word. We invite you to explore the Bible with us and discover the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible that points us to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned earlier, Randy and Brandon have written a book that expands on this topic. It's called Paul Behaving Badly. In the book, Randy and Brandon explore the complicated persona and teachings of the Apostle Paul. They unpack Paul's personal history and his cultural context to show how to reconcile some of the criticism that people in both his day and ours level against him encourage you to get a copy of Paul Behaving Badly by Randy Richards and Brandon O'Brien. 
Well, I think that last part of this episode was an important conclusion to the first half of this study. And because this is such an important foundation to our addressing some of those things that cause us to misread Paul and have problems with him and his writings, let's have both Randy and Brandon kind of summarize where we are as we wrap up part one and look forward to part two next time. All right, so Brandon, why don't you go first? So I think the real tension that I felt with Paul in his long lists of moral restrictions and don't do these things and make sure you do these things is that in the same letters he'll tell us that the gospel is about God's unmerited favor, that we don't earn God's forgiveness by works of the law, and the Gentiles don't come in by keeping the law or living a moral life. So why in the world is he saying that on the one hand and then on the other hand, don't do these things, make sure you do those things. How can it be both? The helpful explanation is that he's addressing specific challenges in a specific place for a specific Christian community where their behavior is threatening their Christian witness. Okay, and then Randy, how would you summarize this criticism of Paul and those who say in this area he was behaving badly? We have Paul writing, flee immorality, stop doing these things, quit, don't. (laughs) And we have these lists of rules, which is kind of, in some ways, the way we grew up with Mm -hmm. Paul. Like he was there to just tell everybody to stop doing anything that looked like it might be fun. And yet he's also the one we quote all the time, we're saved by grace and not by works. And that it is God's unmerited favor to us, his kindness, and that we don't have to do things to get salvation. So how in the world can we have both? The part that we're missing is we're reading a letter, someone else's mail. They have written Paul and said, how do we address these problems? And Paul says, well, here's how you address them. Here's how you put the gospel into action. And so he is not, as Brandon has said, riding to a young Arkansas boy in the back of a church van. He's riding to people who are doing things that are damaging the Christian community's reputation and also the very heart of the gospel. Good. That was helpful and clear. Thanks. And so our conversation with Randy Richards and Brandon O'Brien will continue in our next episode as Mart and Bill and Elisa look with them at questions of racism and racial reconciliation. We'll see how understanding the culture in which Paul was writing can help us to navigate the seemingly insensitive comments he seems to have made about some other people groups. So don't miss part two of this Discover the Word podcast about misreading Paul. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. 